David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. I guess I'm not going to survive today because I can't get any food. Might as well look good while doing it. So, going to get a haircut here. These are my boys, Rosewood. I don't even know if they're going to accept Bitcoin. Honestly, I don't think I'm going to tell them until after. Dip out of there if they don't. <laughs> Just kidding. We'll see what happens. Fingers crossed. Let's get this cut. Hey, Chris. How's it going? What's up, man? Good doing? to see you. Oh, by the way, do you guys accept Bitcoin? Of course. Of course. Except Bitcoin and all sorts of electronic currency. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. Oh, baby. All right, sick. Well, now I have to pay you. Okay, so the cut is $35. That's 0.00381247 Bitcoin. <laughs> so I'm going to send that to Chris. You got it? Oh, yeah. All right. Looks like we're good. Appreciate it, Chris. Dude, my pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. I'll take care. Man gets haircut, pays with Bitcoin. Pretty cool, man. Uh, it is 9.02 a.m. It is the 6th of November, 2019. It is episode 160. Broke another 10 place, man. Sweet. Uh, episode 160 of Bitcoin. And that was a guy named Trahan at Trahan talking about getting his hair cut with some Bitcoin. Um, he um, has a YouTube channel and uh, he was, you know, Oh, let's 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 find out a little bit more about this guy. He let's see. He this is a clip for where uh, named I survived on only Bitcoin for twenty four hours. It was released yesterday. It already has one hundred eighty seven thousand views on YouTube. The full length version is twelve minutes and fifty one seconds. But Ryan, this guy's name is Ryan Trahan. He's got a little check mark on YouTube, so I guess that means he's fairly important. Uh, I well. You know, God, that's that's like totally, totally, totally tongue in cheek, right? Um, but he's like one of these YouTubers that's got shit tons of followers. Let's see, what two point zero one million subscribers, and he did some Bitcoin stuff. So good for him, fellow Texan, putting the word out in the streets. Wanted to bring that to y'all's attention. Um, let's see what else is going on out there in the streets. Oh, quote of the day. From our friend Space Cat, otherwise known as Hodelanot, igniter of the lightning torch. Inflation is your past work decaying, crumbling, disappearing between your fingers. The hours and sweat you invested evaporating under the merciless sun of fiat money. It's amazing that we have been conditioned to accept this kind of blatant theft. Bitcoin sets us free. The, we ob- obviously, we all know that Bitcoin can set us free. But it's an interesting take on inflation. Now, the guy, you know, all you guys in the Bitcoin world have been talking about this for years. But I just, you know, thought that this was a a nice, succinct way to put it, that fiat money is the sun evaporating the living crap out of the time that you invested in the past for the money that the fiat money that you hold today. Because every time they inflate that thing, every time they put the spigot on, every time they do a repo, your money loses its value. 
which means that the time that you invested 10 years ago lost its value. Guys, keep that in mind. Not investment advice, buy Bitcoin. Sorry, another announcement here, or not another announcement, an announcement. Elena Vranova, her I can pronounce, um, has announced that she is leaving Casa Hotel. Uh, She says, I'm off to New Horizons after strategizing at Casa Hotel for over a year. Love the team. They converted the strategy into something tangible and usable. It was a pleasure. Keep building. We don't know where Elena is going to land, but our best wishes to Elena Vranova because she has been an awesome Bitcoiner for the year over the years and a really, really top notch talent in the space and a woman for all those people that think that no women exist in the Bitcoin space. Yes. Not only are there women in the Bitcoin space, there are women like Elena. There are also women like Stark, like our Starkness, right? Uh, she also is a very important figure in the Bitcoin community, as far as, especially as far as Lightning is concerned, and also a woman. So I'm kind of getting really sick about all the people who are saying that uh, there's no women in Bitcoin because that is a blatant lie. Okay, some other stuff here. I ran across a tweet. Let's see, where is it? Where is it? Uh, from Spending Bitcoin. This is going to be at Spending Bitcoin, all one word. Breaking news, spendingbitcoin.com. The biggest Bitcoin directory is live to celebrate. We're giving away a factory sealed at, uh, <coughs> sorry, Ledger Nano S and white, oh, the white paper limited edition. Nice. So they've got this little you got to follow and retweet and tag some friends. They're saying the tagging of the friends is not mandatory. But, you know, if you want to enter, I, I, it, this was like yesterday. They don't give a time limit on it. But going to spendingbitcoin.com is just it's just a nice, tight Web page that you can go find all the places where you can go spend bit, bit, uh, your Bitcoin. So art and bills and uh, Bitcoin hardware and books and bullion and charity and clothing and cold storage and debit cards and electronics and hosting and jewelry and merchandise, all manner of stuff ending with VPN. So they've got themselves a nice little uh, directory that you can go to at spending-bitcoin.com and find out what stores you can do business with that are doing business with Bitcoin. And there are over, it looks like there are 722 online stores that is in their directory. So getting close to breaking the four digits on that. Nice guys at spending Bitcoin. Okay. This other one uh, hit my radar yesterday. Sphinx.chat. S-P-H-I-N-X, like the Sphinx, you know, over there in Egypt, right? The scary laying cat in the desert thing. They're introducing chat plus pay. Now, it's complete beta, and not only is it beta, it's private beta. It's also only for uh, 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 iPhone or the iOS uh, operating system. If you go to sphinx.chat, you will get to their page, and the only thing that you can do is enter your email and send it to them to register for the private beta. What does it look like? Looks to me like they've got a chat service that operates on your iPhone, like you know a messaging service, and you can pay directly with the Lightning Network through that. Um, now, I, I I think it's ballers, but 
somebody kind of pushed back on me and said, oh, great, now I got to pay to chat with you. And while that's kind of probably was tongue in cheek, just, you know, being playful, the guy had a point. So why am I, you know, why am I talking about this? I, well, A, we're in this weird space with Lightning Network where people are just trying stuff. That's okay. That You can just try stuff. Am I going to use chat plus pay? Well, I don't know. It depends on if they invite me to their private beta after I give them my email. But if they do invite me, yeah, I'm going to try it out. It'd be kind of nice to be, oh, I don't know, uh, you know, chatting with somebody. Maybe, you know, even if they like said, hey, you know, uh, I got a joke of the day for your terrible joke corner for your show. Here it is. And they chat, you know, chat with me. And then I just say, you know what, I'm going to use it. Have 5,000 sats, you know, and just send it direct through the, the, the thing. So in a way, no, it's not that you got to pay to chat with people. It's that you can chat with people and have an option to send them Satoshis through the Lightning Network. It's all good. It just all is good. Anyway, okay, that's going to do it for your community stuff. Let's get into the news. First up in today's morning roundup is the EU considers launching its own version of Bitcoin. Uh, and this is out of the independent. This isn't out of like Bitcoin magazine or CoinDesk or anything like that. This is straight up out of the independent out of the UK, right? So Anthony Culbertson's writing for them sometime early this morning. The European Union is considering the development of its own digital currency that could rival Facebook's Libra cryptocurrency. Yes, people. First, they laugh at you. Then they point their fingers and laugh at you. Then they try to beat you over the head with how stupid they think you are. And then they go right down the rabbit hole and go, holy crap, we're going to get our lunches eaten if we don't do this. And what's great about it, they're going to get it wrong. All we have to do is sit back and wait, y'all. <laughs> Draft documents from the European Central Bank urge the EU to come up with a consistent approach to all cryptocurrencies, which range from decentralized currencies like Bitcoin to state-backed efforts currently underway in China. Until now, the bloc has failed to implement any significant regulations surrounding cryptocurrencies, but several European countries have implemented their own rules. Quote, the ECB and other EU central banks could usefully explore the opportunities as well as challenges of issuing central bank digital currencies, including by considering concrete steps to this effect stated the document, which was seen by Reuters. The draft could be discussed by finance ministers later this week before potentially being adopted next month. Uh, Facebook announced earlier this year that it plans to launch its Libra, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. Since its unveiling, however, Libra has faced significant resistance from financial regulators in the U.S. and Europe in September. French economy and finance minister Bruno Le Maire said that he would block the development of Libra in France as it, as it posed a threat to monetary sovereignty. I think they meant in France, but what, whatever. Politicians in the U.K., have expressed similar reservations with Digital Culture Media and Sports Committee Chair Damian Collins, claiming that Libra represents Facebook's attempt to turn itself into its own country. <laughs> well, all the rest of them are starting to suck, so why not? Several of the payment firms that Facebook worked with in the early stages of Libra's development, such as MasterCard and Vita, also recently dropped out. Yeah, because that's what happens when you get a letter written to you by Congress. Freaking... 
I don't know. I don't like Libra, but still kind of spineless. Whatever. In China, plans for a state-backed cryptocurrency appear to be moving forward as the country's central bank prepares for a launch expected in the upcoming months. Last week, President Xi Jinping hailed Bitcoin's underlying blockchain technology as an important breakthrough, uh, marking an about turn in the country's official stance on cryptocurrency. All negative sentiment toward the technology also appears to have been purged from Chinese social media, with cryptocurrency news resource CN Ledger noting that, quote, articles saying blockchain technology is a scam are now banned. So, in a way, China bans cryptocurrency, whatever. They're they're rolling. Go with it. A new law coming into effect on Jan 1 will also serve to facilitate the development of the cryptography business and ensuring the security of cyberspace and information. So there you go. The EU is going to be like the first after China in a long line of countries to fall like freaking dominoes. At least they're going to fall at the feet of blockchain. They're all going to get it wrong. It's all going to be used for surveillance. We all know that that's going to happen. There is nothing about this. They're not. They're they're not going to be able to co-opt co-opt our space. It's just not going to happen. They're going to try, but it's not going to happen. And the only way that they would even be successful at it is to literally send death squads out into the streets. And kind of frankly, I kind of don't think that that's going to happen in most Western nations. China, on the other hand, I don't know. Uh, it's not like they haven't done it like before, but whatever. We don't have to worry about it. Oh, crypto queen trial begins in Manhattan. This is out of decrypt.co. This is Adriana Hummaker writing sometime on November the 4th. The money laundering trial of one coin lawyer Mark Scott got underway today in U.S. District Court in Manhattan just as another drama was ending. The Missing Crypto Queen, the riveting BBC podcast that laid bare the whole scheme, dropped its final episode. The BBC podcast detailed the story of Bulgarian tech entrepreneur Dr. Ruja Ignatova, who disappeared in 2017 when her cryptocurrency OneCoin raked in as much as $5 billion, that's billion with a B, in what prosecutors claim was one of the biggest Ponzi schemes in history. OneCoin's operations were shut down two years ago in Italy, and people associated with it have been arrested and charged in China and India. Its headquarters in Bulgaria is still functioning per the podcast. Scott, who's charged with money laundering, has pleaded not guilty. Likewise, the one coin maintains that's weird. The one coin maintains its innocence. I guess it's like I guess they're speaking of the company itself, whatever. Uh, and its crypto coin is still being sold. Jeez. Oh, I thought it was dead. Oh, oh well, this stupidity has no bounds. In an interview today, Jamie Bartlett who wrote and narrated the Missing Crypto Queen podcast, told Decrypt that regulators were asleep on the job. Specifically, he faulted the Financial Conduct Authority, which regulates the financial services industry in the UK. He said the regulator should have continued to warn consumers about OneCoin after it became apparent that people were still investing in the alleged scam. Quote, the FCA is a very respected institution. So when they don't have a warning or they take a warning down, it has an impact all around the world, he said, adding that inaction also makes it harder for those who criticize the project to demonstrate their concerns. Yeah, try being a freaking maximalist. See how that works out for you. We get a lot of shit for that. Bartlett and series producer George and 
Georgian cat traveled to Bulgaria, Romania, Greece, Germany, the Netherlands, and Uganda during the nine months it takes to make their hit podcast. Scott is accused of money laundering and routing approximately $400 million in one-coin funds out of the U.S. on behalf of his employers. His trial, expected to last for three or four weeks, is the first of several connected with the alleged scam. Konstantin Ignatov, the brother of Rufa Ignatov, or Tova, sorry, Ignatova, and allegedly one of the OneCoin leaders, as well as co-founder Sebastian Greenwood, are both due to face trial in the U.S. in the coming weeks. Ignatova, who disappeared in 2017, has been charged in absentia. Scott's lawyers are expected to argue argue that Scott himself was duped by the company and had no idea it was involved in anything shady, according to the BBC. Yeah, that shit don't work no more, people. U.S.-based investors who claim to have been defrauded by the scheme also have filed civil action against OneCoin and related defendants to recover damages. So there's, this article does go on for quite a bit, but that's going to be enough to, to get you up to speed. The, the whole OneCoin thing uh, is, you know, came apart at the seams. And as in true United States court fashion, it's just now that we're getting around to figuring this crap out. Meanwhile, we've got this woman. Nobody knows where the hell she is. Nobody. $5 billion. Nobody knows where this chick is. I mean, I find that rather amazing myself. I'm almost, I don't want to say I'm I'm impressed with her because she's a scammer and she took a shit ton of people's money. But dude, in today's day and age, to just be able to drop off the face of the planet I'm sorry, that's some serious chops right there. News BTC's David Babian, Bab- sorry, Babayan, is writing that uh, this was yesterday. Let's see, a stellar decreasing supply could increase chances of exchange delisting. This is a report by an analyst. Said analyst? Whale panda, of course. So. The, the Stellar Development Foundation's unanimous decision to burn XLM's supply by half could spell troubles for the project, believes noted Bitcoin maximalist whale panda. The anonymous trader on Tuesday said the cryptocurrency exchanges could start treating XLM as a security, explaining that SDF showed excessive control over the blockchain asset when they cut down its supply from $105 billion to $50 billion. The move increased the chances of getting XLM delisted from exchanges that have been careful about which digital assets they would list on their trading platforms. And then they got this tweet from Whale Panda. We won't read it because it's all explained here. The statement came almost a year after the New York Department of Financial Services allowed a local exchange IBIT, or sorry, ITBIT, to list XLM. While the department did not issue any statement regarding the cryptocurrency's original category, its move indicated that it considered XLM as a security token. Instances such as these also prompted other U.S. exchanges to list XLM pairs on their trading platform. San Francisco-based Conbase started offering XLM trading services in March of this year all across the United States, with the exception, of course, of New York City. However, in September of 2019, the firm obtained permission from the New York Department of Financial Services to cater to New York residents for XLM trading. Yes, because we might as well go ahead and scam them all. Part of the reason why exchanges are comfortable with listing XLM was its nonprofit backing. SDF never behaved as an organization that was out to sell XLM for profits. In September, for instance, SDF announced a massive giveaway of $124 million U.S. worth of XLM tokens to Keybase, a group messaging community and file transfer hub. 
In contrast, Stellar's close rival Ripple was selling off its XRP holdings to hundreds in the hundreds of millions of dollars to boost its adoption. Ripple continues to be in a legal battle with its early investors attempting to prove that XRP tokens are not securities. Guys, they are securities. Stop lying to yourselves. But Whale Panda thinks exchanges about are about to feel cold feet about XLM's future prospects on their platform. That is majorly due to the 1946 Howey test, a benchmark for the United States Securities and Exchange Commission in determining which assets are securities or not. The law can see SDF's decision to cut supplies in an effort to boost its prices in retail markets, which makes XLM a security. Yeah, uh, value go up due to uh, actions of third parties. That's one of the major points of the Howey test, and it's failed miserably here. Continuing, nevertheless, since the token is not funding a for-profit enterprise, there is always a scope for debate whether it is a partial or full security. The reduction in supply, meanwhile, is also boosting the XLM price. The XLM USD pair instrument since yesterday has surged up by 31%. God, thereby becoming the most profitable digital asset on Tuesday. Investors believe scarcity makes the cryptocurrency more bullish, again, signifying that SDF's move in an effort to boost Stellar's value. Come on, guys. Don't buy into this. (laughs) Think of it this way. A group of people got in a room and decided to tell all of us Bitcoiners that we didn't need to run nodes and that they were going to take care of everything and they were going to increase the block size and what happened. We broke our foot off in their butt. That's what happened to them. Here, a group of people got in a room and decided they were going to cut the entire supply by half and nobody was able to twitch, much less don a boot to put said boot in said butt and break it off. There's no chance. And because there's no chance... You are riding a boat and are 100%, 100% dependent upon the steering of somebody else. And I guarantee you that somebody else doesn't care about you because for most of human history, lots of people with lots of money really don't give that much of a hell about anybody but themselves and their best friends. Coindesk's William Foxley is riding November the 5th yesterday. Let's see what he has to say. ATM coin founders ordered to pay $4.25 million for fraud. Oh, what? Another fraud in this space? <gasps> Perish the thought. In a United States Commodity Futures Trading Commission-led case, a court has fined another cryptocurrency investment scheme for fraud and misappropriating client funds. Who would have guessed? According to, the C- to a CFTC news release, from Friday, the district court, district court for the Eastern District of New York ordered a fine of $4.25 million against Blake Harrison Cantor and Nathan Mullins, plus four firms, in, including Blue Bit Bank, Blue Bit Analytics, Mercury Cove, and G. Thomas Client Services. The order included a civil monetary payment penalty against Cantor and the firms for $2.5 million. While Mullins received a penalty of $300,000, Cantor and Mullins were further ordered to hand over ill-gotten gains of $515,000 and $89,000, respectively. The CFTC first filed the case against Cantor and his associates in April of 2018 for fraud involving binary options, a financial product giving a fixed monetary outcome or none at all, and the cryptocurrency ATM coin. Under the scheme, the defendants used in-house software to alter the outcome of binary options in favor of the firm 
Bluebit Bank. Investor funds were also transferred into the worthless crypto, which Cantor and Mullins told investors was worth substantial sums of money. God, it's just how do you sleep with yourself? The CFTC said the defendants further persuaded customers to deposit even more money in accounts in the island nations of St. Kitts and Nevis, increasing the difficulty of tracking such investments. Although the defendants are ordered to pay restitution to victims, the CFTC noted they may not hold assets equal to the stated order. Nah, you think? Guys, wake up, man. It's like the it's the Wild West out here. It's like the gold rush of the 1800s, man. Lots of scammers. This is not going to stop anytime soon. It's just not. Just buy and hold Bitcoin. It's, it's, it's pretty easy. You don't have to worry. You don't have to go to sleep going, God, am I going to get scammed? No, no. You're not. It's like if you're going to buy Ether, you're probably getting scammed. If you're going to buy one coin, you got scammed. If you bought this garbage, scammed. God, Helen Parts is writing for Cointelegraph uh, yesterday. President Erdogan, or however you pronounce his, pronounce his name, Turkey to finish testing digital lira in 2020. I'm telling you, man, one by one, they're dropping like dominoes and they're all going to get it wrong. Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. God, I am so... I, is there like a class you can take for how to pronounce Eastern European names? Because if you got one, dude, send it my way. Erdogan directed that the government should finish testing the National Central Bank digital currency in 2020. The, national, the country's national blockchain-based digital lira is planned to be issued by the central bank in accordance with the 2020 annual president, presidential program, Cointelegraph Turkey, reported on November the 5th. Published on November the 3rd, the presidential program specifies that the first trials of the digital lira should be conducted and finalized by the end of 2020. According to a document published by Turkey's official national publication, Resmi Gazette on November the 4th. Within the pilots, the government reportedly plans to develop a software platform for instant payments based on the digital lira alongside the central bank. The project will also involve the National Tech Innovation Agency, the Scientific and Technological Research Council of Turkey, also known as Tubitak. That's right, Tubitak, T-U-B-I-T-A-K. As reported by Cointelegraph Turkey, the launch of the digital lira is part of the country's objective to strengthen the local economy. The document reads, quote, The main objective is to establish a financial sector with a strong institutional structure that can respond to the financing needs of the real sector. <laughs> the real sector at a low cost offer different financial instruments to a wide investor base through reliable institutions and support Istanbul's goal of becoming an attractive global financial center. So it's the financial sector versus the real sector, the imaginary versus the real world. Let that sink in. It's like they're not even trying to hide it anymore. The inclusion of the digital lira in the 2020 annual presidential program of Turkey follows previous plans outlined by the state in the country's 2019 through 2023 economic roadmap issued in July of 2019. In addition to a CBDC, the government is interested in implementing blockchain technology for transportation and customs as well as public services and administration. <laughs> 
I'm sorry. In September, the government of Turkey announced plans to set up a national blockchain infrastructure to deploy distributed ledger technology in public administration. As reported November the 1st, Xing Peng Zhao, CEO of major cryptocurrency exchange Binance. Holy shit, did I almost pronounce his name right? Oh my God, it's, it's, a, it's a Christmas miracle. We'll be a speaker at the Turkish Capital Market Summit 2019 in Istanbul from November 19th through the 20th, 2019. Whew, God, I to, it was hard to get through that one, man, because this, the, yeah, this has just become so hilarious, as, as, in, as is this. Investor lawsuit argues Ripple still has to answer over ongoing XRP sales. Gotcha. Thank Coindesk Nicholas Day writing yesterday. Ripple's argument that an XRP holder waited too long to file suit has no precedent. A new legal filing claims. Bradley Sostak, the plaintiff in a putative case... Sorry, class action lawsuit said Ripple's statute of repose, a three year period where victims can claim alleged wrongdoing, does not immunize the defendant from securities law due to the ongoing sales of XRP. In a new legal filing made public late on Monday, Sostak claimed Ripple's monthly sale of XRP out of escrow constitutes ongoing securities sales, as submitted in his response to Ripple's motion to dismiss from September. Sostak is the court designated lead plaintiff in a long-standing legal battle with Ripple and its CEO, Brad Garlinghouse, based on claims the payment startup violated United States securities law by selling XRP to the general public and promising that the token's value would spike. Well, it did. It went to three bucks, which was ridiculous, but I get what you're saying. The plaintiff is claiming he lost $118,100 through his XRP investment, according to an August filing. Leaning on court precedent. Sostak said the defense relies on an out-of-circuit decision which cannot be squared with the Supreme Court's more recent holding that the statute of repose runs from the defendant's last culpable act, act, the securities offering. The response states, quote, defendants have failed to cite any case, and indeed, no court has found, that liability for multiple offerings have been barred by the statute of repose. The lawsuit was first filed early last summer. Sostak and his attorneys, law firms Sussman, Godfrey, and Taylor Copeland Law, then filed an amended class action complaint in, tw- in August of 2019 relating Ripple's alleged charges to the standards set out by the United States Securities and Exchange Commission in its crypto asset framework in claiming that XRP is a security. Ripple sidestepped the question of whether XRP is a security entirely in its response, instead arguing that the plaintiff had failed to file, file a suit within the statute statute of repose and that he'd failed to file a complaint under law. While the complaint alleged that the cryptocurrency XRP is a security, it is unlikely that this question will be resolved during the ongoing proceedings, according to legal experts. Yeah, because that's not that's not what the case is about. Ripple must respond to the new filing by December the 4th with oral arguments expected to commence January the 15th of this year. Okay, so... I guess to boil it down, he's saying that every single time that they unload their bags of garbage on the uh, unsuspecting public of XRP or rather Ripple heads, that they reset the time of repose. Um, So like if they had only done it that one time and never done it again, there'd be a three-year clock. And at the end of that three years, anybody who said, hey, you ripped me off, you know, they'd be able to, to legally say, go fish. This guy's saying, no, every single time that you guys dump your crap 
on the public, you reset that clock, and yes, I'm able to sue you into the Stone Age, and quite frankly, I hope he does, because the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So if I don't like the courts, I do like the courts when they're going after somebody like Brad Garlinghouse, who is a fraud. Facebook's Calibra exec, oh, <laughs> exec, oh, this is good, you're going to love this. Libra is more like email than PayPal. <laughs> So Libra is now email, guys. It's email. Helen Parts is writing for Cointelegraph sometime late yesterday. Oh, Facebook's crypto project Libra will be more similar to email technology than payment services such as PayPal, vice president of product at Calibra said. Speaking at the Web Summit in Lisbon on November the 5th, Kevin Weil, vice president of product at Facebook's Calibra Digital Wallet Unit, emphasizes that interoperability, the basic principle of email... Will be the key concept of Libra. For the love of God, do you guys buy this crap? Ah! Noting that any global developer or entrepreneur can build wallets for Libra, we'll encourage the global community to collaborate on the interoperable protocols. He said, quote, you and me don't have to collaborate on which email provider we are going to use before we send each other an email. We don't have to choose which browser we are going to use tailored to which individual website you're going to go to. These things are protocols, and as long as you build to the protocol, everything's interoperable. Libra is the same way. God, considering the approximate timing of the Libras for Libra's launch, Wheel said that, quote, this will be a journey of years and decades, end quote. As reported by CNBC, while, or Wheel, whatever, W-E-I-L, pronounce it for yourself, expressed confidence that the social media giant's cryptocurrency will not go viral like a social network. Wheel also stressed that users' financial data on Calibra will stay separate from their social data on Facebook. And it, dudes, if you believe that... I still have bridges to sell you. Wheel's statement follows a recent claim of Calibra CEO David Marcus that companies outside the formal Libra Association are able to offer services on the platform. In an interview in mid-October, Marcus said that the former association members such as Visa and MasterCard will still be able to issue cards for Libra. At the same event, Wheel also suggested that the best time to launch Libra was three years ago. Oh, God. Before the major crypto bull run of 2017, the Calibra exec reportedly added that now is the second best time to do so. Wheel also reportedly revealed that he was not an early believer of the major cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, but became a fan in 2015 and 2016. That's the end of the article, but they're trying to usurp. Uh, they're, they're trying to usurp. This is a usurpment. That's not even really. They're kind of trying to usurp an eth like our the an ethic that we that we that have been in here for e just a couple of years, much less like you know four or five. Um, that that they're 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 ah, what's the word? It's like they're trying to blow a dog whistle that only we can hear, and that somehow we're magically going to appear and support them. No, screw Libra. Screw Colibra. They're not going to keep your financial shit separate from the rest of your life. That's ridiculous. They don't have to, and they're not going to. And there's no way that you can prove that they're not doing it because they're not going to let you see what is known as proprietary tech. Because it's going to be proprietary, and it is, This the Calibra wallet, maybe that's not. Where does it sock it into in the rest of the rest of Facebook? Are we going to be able to see what's on the other side of that socket? No. No, you're not. 
Stop believing that these guys have anything but their own best interest in mind. Also, stop believing that they're not scared to death because they missed and blew the biggest opportunity that they ever had in their entire lives. All of them missed it. Every single one because they had their heads up their asses stealing your stuff and selling it to a third party. And because they were so engrossed in doing that, they missed out on everything. Moving on. Users can now buy Bitcoin on DropBit using Apple Pay or Google Pay. Landon Manning writing for Bitcoin Magazine sometime yesterday. <laughs> on November the 5th, 2019, Bitcoin focused product hub Coin Ninja announced that through a collaboration with cryptocurrency payments company Wire, users can now buy Bitcoin directly on the DropBit app with Apple Pay and Google Pay. Wire here is spelled W Y. R-E. Coin Ninja calls DropBit its Venmo for Bitcoin, a Bitcoin wallet and payment service particularly designed to help Bitcoiners send BTC to those who don't own any. And it positioned this announcement as progress in its effort to make DropBit the fastest and easiest on-ramp for Bitcoin. Coin Ninja claimed that Bitcoin purchases can take less than two minutes two minutes from installation to completion and that the integration is easy even for non-technical users to leverage. It also noted a purchasing cap of $500 worth of Bitcoin and that purchase Bitcoin loads directly into a DropBit wallet. The announcement also highlighted that there are no KYC requirements, probably because it's $500 cap, for using the new feature, though using Apple Pay or Google Pay would presumably mean that a purchaser has already proven or rather provided this information. DropBit has been undergoing major upgrades over the past several months. In October 2019, the wallet added support for the Lightning Network, allowing users to conveniently send low-fee micropayments even to those who do not have wallets set up on the Lightning Network proper. Quote, the DropBit wallet is about sending frequent smaller Bitcoin transactions in the easiest way possible. You don't need a long abstract wallet address. You simply need someone's phone number or Twitter handle to send, even if the recipient has never owned Bitcoin previously. Kyle Stalzer, head of product at CoinJoin, told Bitcoin Magazine at the time. The most recent Announcement added that in addition to the added ability to buy Bitcoin, DropBit just recently released released version 3.0 with a locked preview of Lightning Network for all users. The company will be offering ways to for users to receive full unlocked functionality over the next several days via its Twitter profile. So guys, if you're not looking at DropBit, probably need to be looking at DropBit. We need to see how they go. Uh, you know, and they've been around for a little bit. But this, you know, here they're getting into the entry. And what's nice about this is that it's yet one more company who's integrating Lightning Network. So I don't know where the whole the whole thing about Lightning doesn't work and it's never going to work and it can't scale and it's a pile of garbage and that it's so hard to use. Where are, are Do you guys just not? Well, maybe that's why I do this podcast. So you don't have to read the news. Hey, I, I'm good with that. Let's go forward. Illinois lottery winner puts half a million USD into Bitcoin. Was it a mistake? This is Adrian Barkley writing for CryptoDaily.co.uk. When was this? Oh, this was yesterday. 
A citizen from Illinois who won half a million dollars in a state lottery has revealed he put half of it into Bitcoin earlier this year. The Reddit user, under the name Joxnlol, J-O-X-N-L-O-L, posted an image of, him, of himself holding onto the state lottery check earlier today. He also posted the caption, did this, then put half into BTC in May. Remind me in eight months if I effed up. <laughs> Luckily, gaining the winning ticket saw Joxnall gain $500,000 on April the 19th, given he converted half of it in early May. His investment has also luckily seen a 65% gain, so it's safe to say he made a decent choice. Oh, decent. <laughs> it's worth saying that Joxnall's half-million-dollar winnings were reduced to around three hundred fifty-seven dollars after taxes kicks in. Joxnall went on to highlight that he has plans to hold the investment for about 12 months, stating, quote, I don't intend to touch any of it for at least another year. I set aside money for emergencies. I set aside money for myself, and I set aside money for tattoos. <laughs> the only major purchases I've done is bought a new car for myself and put a down payment on a house. Good for you, buddy. Contributors to the thread were essentially in full agreement on two points. The first being that if Joxnall had made a mistake in any way, it was by not having invested all of it in the leading cryptocurrency. The second being that he was tempting fate by making it public and letting potential criminals be aware of how much he has in the decentralized asset. I could tend to agree. Only time will tell as to whether or not this is to be a mistake. However, it'll be interesting to see how the situation plays out. For more news on this and blah, 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 keep it with Crypto Daily. Okay, Crypto Daily, thank you for uh, telling us about this guy who went ballers half in. It would have been nice. To, I don't know. I would have gone half in too. Keep some crappy fiat on the side, even though, as the quote of the day from Hodel or not, a lighter and igniter of the lightning torch, inflation is the son of fiat boiling your time away. In this guy's case, he won the money, so it's not like he worked for it, right? Still, fiat son boiling your invested time away. Bitcoin price hits $11,600 US on Argentinian crypto exchange. My God, the arbitrage opportunity. <clears throat> Let's see what this is. This is Julio Gil Pulgar at G-I-L underscore Pulgar, P-U-L-G-A-R on Twitter, I, I suppose on Twitter. He's writing uh, yesterday sometime, Argentina's government is imposing stricter measures to prevent access to foreign exchange reserves as a result. Bitcoin price on one of the country's local exchanges is currently trading at a 25% premium. Shifting politics, economic uncertainty, and stricter forex controls have led Argentine banks to eliminate trading desk jobs, according to the Buenos Aires Times. The economic turmoil is having significant effect on the cryptocurrency market, namely Bitcoin price. Consequently, Argentine traders are paying over 25% for the main cryptocurrency, specifically as of this writing, Ripio, one of the main local crypto exchanges, is showing Bitcoin price at ARS of 600, what is that? Yeah, 691,454 which is around $11,600 U.S. dollars. Earlier today, however, Redditor posted Bitcoin price on the exchange broke as high as 12759 representing a 38% premium compared to other global exchanges. The economic situation in Argentina is becoming increasingly precarious. 
According to data from the World Bank, the local currency devalued significantly in 2019. Annual inflation reached over 50%, while the GDP contracted 2.5% in 2018 and another 2.5% in the first six months of this year. Some observers suggest that Argentina, one of the largest Latin American economies, might be heading towards another economic crisis. And to avert the crisis, the administration of the outgoing President Macri is imposing stricter protectionist controls. The Wall Street Journal explains, quote, To make up the difference, Argentina often prints money that fuels inflation or borrows dollars from abroad or both. Because it is a protectionist economy closed to free trade and riddled with inefficient companies, read as corrupt, it struggles to generate enough dollars through exports to pay its dollar debts. Before leaving the presidency, Macri is taking last-minute measures to stave off the looming financial crisis. One of them is hardening foreign currency restrictions. Indeed, the latest control imposed by the Central Bank of Argentina forbids Argentines to purchase more than $200 a month. These measures are likely to be maintained by the new administration to be headed by Alberto Fernandez, who will take the office on December the 10th of 2019. Indeed, according to La Nación, Fernandez approves of the latest economic measures that the outgoing administration is imposing. Yeah, that's not going to work for you, Fernandez. It's a matter of time before collapse, and it's going to be on your watch. I guess you can pray that it'll work, but I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on any horses that it would. Now, going back to uh, that $200 a month, please remember that they're saying that Argentines can't purchase more than $200 a month. In a day, the day of the election and the new president, President Fernandez, or, or uh, I guess the incoming president, President Fernandez, on the day that the election results were in is when they did this, okay? And it went from $10,000 that Argentines were able to purchase to two hundred, dollars from $10,000 to $200. That's two orders of magnitude if you look at the decimal places. That's two orders of magnitude. That's huge, man. That's freaking huge. And I, my heart goes out to the Argentinians and pretty much all of Central and Latin America because all of you guys are getting hosed. You've been getting hosed for years. It ain't all the United States' fault. Your own governments are not treating you well. And they're not treating you well through the use of your own money. They've weaponized your money against you. They're beating you over the head with it. Buy Bitcoin Ride out the storm, do what you can, but for God's sakes, not investment advice, buy Bitcoin. Oh, God. And we're going to end today's morning roundup with Ether 2.0. Uncertainty causes projects to ditch network. This is Christine Vasileva. Vasileva? Vasileva. I'm going with Vasileva. November the 5th, she's writing for the Bitcoinist.com. ETH 2.0, sorry, it's actually ETH 2.0, but I just keep, I keep hearing Homer Simpson in the back of my head. Complete with sharding and scaling is seen as a solution to Ethereum's current problems with network overload, but skeptics see the upcoming project as confusing and potentially harmful to the ecosystem of startups, or actually that should be spelt scams, but whatever. 
ETH 2.0 is still following fads, and there is no way to analyze what is coming up, commented James Prestwich, founder of Summa. In a thread, he exposed the challenges to upgrading Ethereum with multiple live projects and high uncertainty, and then they give that thread, but we'll talk about the summary here. Based on Vitalik Buterin's predictions, the arrival of ETH 2.0 will not be felt by end users. Bullshit. However, shards and finality may bring a new layer of complexity for developers as well as delays in verifying transactions in states. <laughs> well, that's good news, I guess. The uncertainty around Ethereum also appears to be making startups give up on the network with signs of slowing development activity. And then there's a tweet here by Grubles. Let's see what Grubel, not Grubel says. He's always got something cool to say. More and more projects are ditching Ethereum every day, it seems. There are no pros to build on it now or in the next two to three years due to the uncertainty around 2.0's viability. Why spend resources building on ETH when its devs can and will pull the rug out from under you? That was written on November the 4th via at not Grubel's Twitter account. Bloomberg reported earlier this year that Ethereum's market share of DAP users had significantly dropped from 100% in 2018 to just 28% in 2019. 48% of projects had allegedly moved to EOS, while 24 had decidedly decidedly relocated onto Tron's network. Just <laughs> going to the shit coins. At this point, it is unknown when ETH 2.0 would even materialize, complete with proof of stake. The Berlin hard, work, hard fork may keep the status quo when it comes to mining instead of going with the scheduled phasing through progressively growing difficulty. The Ethereum community also, once again, debates the matter of prog POW or the idea that proof of work should be preserved through, oh, though only after an ASIC disabling fork. There's no such thing. Guys, this is me. There's no such thing as an ASIC disabling fork. If you're doing an operation, somebody can figure that operation out and plant it into a chip that can be copied, boom, ASICs. It's just a matter of time. Continuing, the Ethereum network has seen some inflow of specialized mining rigs, though now, or though for now, investment remains slow. Because of the almost constant fear that Ethereum will not be mineable soon, ASIC and mining farm investments have slowed down. At the same time, there is still interest in Ethereum mining with about a 25% growth of activity since the start of 2019. In the past months, E3 mining took off, starting even before the official announcement of the sales. At this point, it is uncertain if miners will only seek profits or try to try to stop the switch to proof of stake. Even with sharding, the performance of ETH 2.0 may be questionable and still require significant resources. Currently, the entire history of the Ethereum network is impossible to keep for regular users. Thank God somebody else said it. Recently, the ETH 2.0 parameters of sharding were changed, once again showing a high requirement for hardware. It is also possible the attempts to upgrade to ETH 2.0 to affect the growing DeFi basis directly harming the value of tokens involved in collateralized lending. There's just not much to say about this. It's a dumpster fire inside of a circus, inside of a clown car, riding around the ring, trying to not get stepped on by the freaking elephants that are dressed up in dresses. Stop it. Just stop it. Vital statistics, we've got Bitcoin at 9,341 on average. We have a high, no, actually, no, we do have a high over at X rates at 9,356. 
And we have a low, it seems, at P2P, B2B at 9,333.17. 322,000 transactions have been made in the last 24 hours, with about 13,500 being made per hour. Over 1 million BTC have been sent over that last 24 hours, with about 45,000 BTC being sent on average per hour. Average transaction value is 3.35 BTC, while the median transaction value is high at 0.038, or right around 350 bucks USD. Block time is a little long at 10 minutes and 31 seconds per block. 0.306 BTC are being taken in fees on a per block basis. 41 BTC have been taken in fees over the last 24 hours. We have had a spike in difficulty rate, or not difficulty, hash rate. Get it straight, man. We have a almost 8% increase in the hash rate, bringing us to just under 100 exahashes. We are currently sitting at 98.5 exahashes per second. The last commit to the GitHub repository for Bitcoin was sometime this morning. Ethereum at 190, Bcash at 304, Litecoin at 64, BSV at 140, Ethereum Classic at $5 and a dime, Dogecoin holding steady at 0.0027. At 26,141 transactions in the last 24 hours, Dogcoin ain't beaten anyone. My God, that's just sad. Okay, now, a little bit before we go to the mempool, I want to bring this small thread from Crypto Bacon up. BTC has collected $500,000 in fees in 24 hours. BSV has collected $220 in 24 hours. PCH has collected $200 in 24 hours. The halvening is coming. To take it further, he continues, ETH has collected $96,000 in fees in the last 24 hours. LTC has collected $840 in fees. Doge has collected $90 in fees. Last in the thread, BSV has made 307,000 more transactions than BCH in 24 hours. Hopefully, this is me talking now, Crypto Bacon. Thank you for that uh, th- that update on, on that. That's kind of eye-opening. Um, maybe it's somebody after my own heart who desperately wants to take thousands of dollars to the Library of Congress and upload the whole damn thing to BSV. That's, I would love it if that happened and just cripple that network to the, beyond the Stone Age because, it, hell, it deserves worse. I just can't think of anything right now except putting it in a brown paper bag, dousing it in diesel and throwing it into the ETH dumpster fire. I don't know. Whatever. But thank you, Crypto Bacon, for that. So the gist. Bitcoin is the thing when we're looking at fees and fees alone, because of all the people that are scared to death about the happening, which we've gone through before, and, and the impending implosion of mining, because at one point the subsidy of, of Bitcoin being given as a reward for mining successful blocks will be over. For you guys, stop. There's so much stuff that needs to stop in this space, and this is definitely one of them. $500,000 in fees in 24 hours. Now, is that going to be enough in 135 years when the subsidy stops or however long it's supposed to be? No, at $500,000, no, it won't. If you think it's only going to be $500,000 all the way then, 
uh, then you're probably fooling yourself. And even if it's not, what else is coming down the pipe? What came down the pipe five years ago? Lightning for, for, or the, the white paper for lightning. Where is it now? It's being installed everywhere. It's being integrated everywhere. My God almighty, I've never seen anything. The only thing faster that, that, that I've ever seen is on TV. And that's a spread of a forest fire. That's what this looks like to me, spread of a forest fire. So, Anybody who thinks that BSV is going to do anything or BCH, $220 in fees in the last 24 hours. BCH has been live for what, four years or yeah, something like that. I can't remember. I don't care, but that's why I can't remember. $200 in fees. The only thing that even comes close is Ethereum, and I hate Ethereum. But, it, you know, it certainly is an LTC at 840 or Doge at 90. Come on, guys, get it together. Mempool is kind of deep. We're 10 blocks in. We have almost 19,000 unconfirmed transactions. So healthy Mempool. I know a lot of people will say that, oh, my God, we're all going to die. No, stop it. We have pretty much full blocks across the board. We're going to be getting full blocks across the board for the next Oh, we've just minted a block one minute ago as I started this. So we are now nine blocks deep and 16,000 unconfirmed transactions because uh, 22 transactions were confirmed just as I was speaking. Let's get to the Lightning Network. We have two or 10,352 Lightning nodes up. That's a 2.6% increase over the last 30 days. Network capacity is up 1%. We are up to 818 BTC. We have nodes with active channels is down only 1%. We have uh, 5,900 nodes with active channels. The number of new nodes brought online in the past 24 hours is up by 30% or 13. We have 13 new nodes. New channels that are wearing diapers right now are 69, which represents a 10% drop in the amount of new node or new lightning channels that have come online in the past 24 hours. Now, keep in mind, this is 1ml.com, and all anybody can see are public nodes. If, you, if you're running a Lightning node and it's a private node, we can't see it. Okay, so I would probably double or triple this number of nodes because if I was running a Lightning node, I might do it public at first, but I would probably take it private later on after I learned exactly what the hell it was that I was doing. Um, so anyway, that, that's going to do it for your vital statistics. Okay, guys, uh, Monday's big band section was from Glenn Miller. We're going to do Glenn Miller again this time. Yes, it's the same song. I know. You know, I do this to you guys every once in a while, but it's it's good to learn your music history because if you don't know about big band, then you don't know where jazz came from. And if you don't know where jazz came from, you don't know where blues came from. And if you don't know where blues came from, you don't know where rock and roll came from. And if you don't know where rock and roll came from, well, it's kind of the end of the road because we sort of somehow ended up with a bunch of hip hop. Don't get me wrong. Some of it's good. Not my cup of tea. I uh, my music history basically ends with rock and roll and some electronic music. You know, you guys know I like Gary Newman. Um, however, I need you guys to bear with me on the, on, on how I'm going to introduce this particular song because, the, Oh, I'm, before we get to that, um, this, 
this song is the same song from Glenn Miller. It is In the Mood. However, the original In the Mood was instrumental. So when it was played, it was pretty much always played as an instrumental. The Andrews sisters came along in like, you know, kind of in the forties or whatever. They're, I think they're the, the women that sang uh, that, that song in the forties, Sandman. If you don't know Sandman, God, I don't, I don't know what to do for you, but the Andrews sisters, uh, so, and I'm not exactly sure where the words came from. Uh, it's kind of seems kind of muddy or I haven't hit the right quality history of, of, of music for, to find the information, but kind of muddy as to where it came from. But the Andrews sisters re-recorded this with their, with, and there's three, three women that were sisters. Well, there's three women in the band. Um, and they sang words on top of the original, not the original, but the, the replaying of the original arrangement of in the mood. And it's really good. And also, the Andrews sisters were, you know, they were really, really famous and it may have like, kind of like got Glenn Miller into a, a, you know, a second, his music into, uh, kind of coming around again at the time, you know, and again, this is probably, you know, in the forties somewhere around there. Um, but getting back to how I'm going to introduce this, I need you to bear with me because I'm going to let my good friend, Johnny Dollar introduce this song. Welcome to Johnny Dollar. Beginning tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey and the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator, yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Allied Casualty and Insurance Company Limited, Markham Building, Hartford, Connecticut. Attention, Ed Barth, Controller's Office. This is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the McCormick matter. Though you didn't authorize the investigation, Ed, I'm sure that once the facts are out, you will honor the following. Expense account, item one, $7.95. Train fare and incidentals, Hartford to Los Angeles. Mr. What you call them, what you doing tonight? Hope you're in the mood because I'm feeling just right. How's about a corner with a table for two? Where the music's mellow and some gay rendezvous. There's no chance romancing with the blue attitude. You've got to do some dancing to get in the mood. Sister, what you call them, that's a timely idea. Something swingadilla would be good to my ear. Everybody must agree that dancing has charm. When you have the certain one you love in your arms. Stepping out with you will be a sweet interlude. A builder opera that will put me in the mood. In the mood. That's it, I got it. In the mood. Your ear will spot it. In the mood. Oh, what a hot hit. Be alive and get the jive. You've got to learn how. Hep, hep, hep. Hep like a heifer. Pep, pep, pep. Hot as a pepper. Step, step, step. Step like a stepper. We're mugging and hugging. We're in the mood now. Fun. You can see the wonders that this evening has done. You 
Your feet were so heavy till they hardly could move. Now they're light as feathers and you're right in the groove. You were only hungry for some musical food. Joe, positively, absolutely in the mood. Sister, what you call a mom and daddy to you? It all goes to show what good influence can do. Never felt so happy and so fully alive. Seems the jamming, jumping is a powerful jive. Don't hate me. Hell, I had to put it in there for a couple of reasons. One, it had McCormick's name in it. Come on, man. Peter McCormick, right? Got it? Oh, that's not the whole reason. The real reason is because I want you guys to understand, not understand, but like think about it this way. You had this was a radio show that was like it wasn't underground. It wasn't sort of on the side. No, this was a hit show for years. And what was it about? The action-packed expense account of an insurance investigator. Wasn't detect, I mean, well, he did do detective work. I mean, but it wasn't like a cop show or like, it was about an insurance investigator. People were interested in stuff like that in the 40s. Actually, I think that thing started in the 30s. If you haven't ever listened to old-time radio, do yourself a favor, man. Pick up like, I don't know, pick up a couple because they, they were really good shows. And, re, you know, and there was no, they weren't doing this on TV. It was all in radio. So all the sound effects, the, the music that was played was generally speaking, there was an orchestra live to do the music interludes and whatnot. Um, all the, like all the actors were together on a soundstage. They had all rehearsed the thing together. It was a play. The sound effects guy is in the background. He's got, you know, he's doing the the Foley or basically overdubbing, not overdubbing, but doing the sound effects, like walking through gravel or making lightning sounds and stuff like that. It's fascinating stuff. And to tell you the truth, if I had enough money, if I had like gobs and gobs of cash, I would literally turn this show into a radio show about Bitcoin. I don't know how the hell I would do it, because you would need writers and all kinds of stuff, but somehow, like a like a I don't know what do they call it, uh, like a oh God, a show that has multiple stuff, you know, multiple things going on it, some news, some you know, some stories, but all done in the guise of a 1940s radio show. If I had the money, I would be producing episodes like that. Just just saying, just 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 saying. Anyway, okay, uh, today's daily train wrecked is going to be brought to you by a guy named Arturio McCoy or Arthur McCoy. And he's replying to Naval, uh, a tweet of Naval that uh, Naval's tweet reads, no one yet has sold Bitcoin, quote, at the top, end quote. 
Well, Arthur decided that he was going to write back and display this. To those that sold at 20K, yes, they did. $700 in the next year. Once Bitfinex explodes, there goes Bitcoin. Yeah, Bitfinex is going to be the thing to kill Bitcoin. For God's sakes, people. <laughs> stop. Again, stop. This whole this whole show has been about stop it. Just stop. This is ridiculous. Bitfinex could go the way of the dodo tomorrow. Will it affect the price? Yes, because everything, everything affects the price. Is it going to kill Bitcoin? No. How do I know this? Because there's been 380 plus Bitcoin obituaries delivered by mainstream media, announcing everything from a mining death spiral to Mt. Gox and everything, all points in between for 11 years. And guess what? According to uh, to mempool.space, we've pretty much just minted another block. The blocks keep coming. That's the timer. Every 10 minutes, just like that. Got it? No, Bitcoin's not going to die if Bitfinex dies. And by the way, I doubt very seriously that Bitfinex is going to die. It's, it's a behemoth. It's not that it's too big to fail. It's just that uh, everybody still uses it. They're going to use it even with this whole tether you know, mess and, and lawsuits and whatnot. Bitfinex isn't going anywhere, y'all. It's just, it's just not. And neither are like a whole bunch of the other, well, a handful. I'm going to say a handful of major exchanges pretty much not going anywhere. Bitfinex, BitMEX, uh, Kraken, you know, things like that. Probably not going to go anywhere. It's the small exchanges that you have to worry about. So if, you, if you're holding your money on exchanges, remember, Trace Mayer's proof of keys comes up January the 3rd. That's January the 3rd, 2020. If you have anything, any Bitcoin, anywhere, get it off on January the 3rd. Create the run that every bank, fiat bank, hopes that will never happen and make sure that the companies that are in the Bitcoin space are able to deal with that run. If we can harden these people and their companies and their tech, to everybody in the world grabbing their private keys off their network all at once within, you know, within like the same day or a couple of days, it's going to help the ecosystem. It will actually help the ecosystem. It will actually identify who is going to fail by literally forcing them to fail immediately. And if you fail, I am sorry for you, but you should have been hardened against it. So again, proof of keys coming up January the 3rd, 2020, not your keys, not your Bitcoin. Terrible Joke Corner today is brought to you by me. How did Mr. Lipton vote when he was out of the country? It was an absentee ballot. Get it? Yeah, I wrote it. That was me. I'm taking all the credit for that one. I literally am actually taking all the credit for that one. Although, I can almost guarantee you this. 
that joke has been written before. I've never seen it, but I can guarantee you that that joke has been written before because it's an obvious construction. Unless you're somebody who doesn't know what the hell Lipton is. Lipton, Lipton tea. This is actually one of the greatest all-time memes on the history of the planet with Kermit the Frog drinking Lipton tea in front of a sun-baked window, and there's usually something on it that says, ETH 2.0 is going to self-implode, but that's none of my business. Yeah, stuff like that, right? Stuff like that. So if you don't know Lipton tea, I, I, I can't help you. So we've run long today. The outro is going to be short. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.